Wonderful to be back with you again. Um, by the way, my name is John Caldwell. I'm not Craig White. We, we get confused all the time when we're out and about, you know. Aren't you Craig White? Aren't you the... No, well, his hair's a little darker than mine, right? You know, handsome dude. I tell you what, it's, it's just disgusting, you know, to, to me. But anyway, I appreciate the fact that Craig asked me to come and uh, preach today. Um, Craig and Rochelle got away for a few days and uh, pray that they'll be refreshed and renewed, and uh, I trust that you'll be blessed as we study God's Word together this morning. You know, um, society at large seems to be pretty, pretty um, pessimistic about relationships today, and especially about uh, marriage in particular, and with good reason. Um, do you know what the average duration of a marriage in America is today? Anybody um, even take a guess at it? Five years? Two? <laughs> Boy, you're really a pessimist over here. But anyway, actually, the answer is eight years. Eight years. That's kind of sad, isn't it? As a matter of fact, less than 5% of married couples make it to 50 years. I know you have some in your congregation that do or that have, but um, 5%. Uh, how, how many country music fans do we ever have here in this service? Any? Well, I tell, well, look at all the hands. I'd think you'd be hooting, hooting and hollering. But anyway, um, I, I, I must say that country music isn't my favorite genre, but, but I'll say this about country music. It is, it is real, isn't it? I mean, it's down home. It's down where we where we really live. And, and even country music is pretty pessimistic about relationships and about society today. I mean, you know, like um, songs like, How Can I Miss You If You Won't Go Away? <laughs> you know, or, or, or is an even better one? If I'd shot you when I wanted, I'd be out by now. <laughs> I, I, I just share this with you for my own entertainment, if not for yours. Um, um, or I, I'm, so, I'm so miserable without you, it's almost like having you here. That, that's, a, that's a good one, yeah. But not all the, not all the country music songs are, um, are pessimistic. They're not all, ne all negative, no, no. There are some positive ones, like <laughs> take me out to the cornfield, honey, and I'll kiss you between the ears. Are, are you familiar <laughs> with that one? That's, that's, a, that's an extra good one. Or, or <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I made you cry, but at least your face is clean. <laughs> yeah, that... But here's, here, yeah, takes a while, I understand, takes, takes a while. But here's, here's my favorite of all, uh, if my nose is running money, I'd blow it all on you. <laughs> I just, all right, you don't get humor like that from Pastor Craig, do you? I tell you what, you know, uh, so you're blessed that I'm here today. Um, Jan and I have been married, and Jan's here, right over here, and my daughter also, by the way, a lot of friends are here, but uh, we've been married for 56 years. And that's not a record. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> it's not a record, but it's far above the average of eight years. And originally, some months ago, uh, Pastor Craig asked me if I would come and uh, kick off a series on marriage. And he wanted me to do it from the standpoint of someone that had been married so long. In other words, he was saying, John, you're really old, so would you come and, and preach as a part of this series? And then uh, just recently, two or three weeks ago, we got together for lunch, and he said, you know, I, I've been thinking about it, John, and, and he said, you know, we have a number of divorced people in our congregation, uh, single people in our congregation, 
Um, we, we have people that have never married and people that never would want to marry and so on and so forth. And, and, and so he said, I, I'd like for you to preach on relationships. And, uh, you know, whatever the situation might be. And so I, I began to pray about that and think about that. And I realized that there are principles that are basic to any relationship. Principles that are basic to any relationship. And um, uh, so today we're going to talk about marriage, but we're going to talk about it as a model for any and all relationships, okay? Now, you're going to need to work a little bit on your own to make the application if you're not married, but the application's there if you will look for it. When I'm asked, um, and I've been asked many times, what is the key to a really good marriage? I respond uh, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, it's for real also. Well, you need to have two televisions. <laughs> and uh, no, seriously, you know, you, you need one television uh, for, for me, in our case, to watch all the sport, uh, sports events and to watch Fox News. And, and, and then you have to have one for your wife, you know, to watch game shows and to watch the old black and white um, uh, shows, you know, Gunsmoke and, and Perry Mason. I, I enjoy those too, by the way, I must, I must admit. But while I'm talking uh, tongue-in-cheek about that, uh, that is important, but far, far more important than having two television sets is having a commitment to that relationship. Understand what I'm saying? Um, a week ago, yesterday, I had the funeral of Mary Lou Briggs. Do we have her picture up there? Mary Lou and Doug. I was her pastor at Kingsway for a number of years, and, and uh, then Jan and I are neighbors of theirs. Actually, we live in the same uh, neighborhood. And uh, Mary Lou... Um, 18 years ago, came down with a genetically inherited uh, disease. It's, it's a weird, one in a billion, the doctors say, where both the father and the mother, her father and mother, had this defect in, in their genes that when brought together caused this problem with Mary Lou that uh, caused her to decline in health and caused her to be confined to a wheelchair and for all intents and purposes, a total invalid. She couldn't do, she couldn't be what she wanted to do or to be. Actually, Doug was here in the first service this morning. But uh, anyway, uh, as her health declined, she had been in the hospitals, the doctors had done everything that they could for her. And um, so Doug took her home. They made their son room into a hospital room, hospital bed there, and so on and so forth. And, and she was basically comatose in those last days. And I'd stop by to pray with them. And as she lay dying, uh, Doug and I got to talking about um, marriage today and about the tendency for a lot of young couples to want to make up their own wedding vows. You know what I'm talking about. And... Um, he, he, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, first of all. But he said, you know, I think it's important that we follow the traditional vows as well. And hopefully, you know what I'm meaning by that. Um, I mean, uh, the vows that you're familiar with to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, in prosperity and adversity, and that Forsaking all others, I keep myself to you and to you alone until God shall separate us by death, so help me God. And I, I think Doug was right. I think too many times we don't think about both the positive and the negatives when it comes to marriage or other relationships for, for, for that matter. And um, I commend Doug so much uh, for his uh, example 
of living out those vows. I mean, uh, he loved his wife. He took her every place. They, 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 you know, whatever she was able to do, he was the one that enabled it. I would see him out pushing her in the wheelchair around the neighborhood and so forth. Brought her to church every Sunday. They always sat back in the back. Um, he, he, he assured her that she was loved in every way possible, right down into the last moments of her life. He did that. And I commend him for his example of living out those vows. You know, it's easy. <laughs> it's easy when uh, it's for the, for the better. It's easy when it's in health. It's easy when it's in joy. It's easy when it's in prosperity. But not so much when it's for worse or in sorrow or in sickness. And yet for half of their married life, think about that, 36 years they were married, 18 of those years she had come down with this disease which left her uh, mostly an invalid. And yet he cared for her all those years. That's commitment, folks. And that's where I want to start today to talk about relationships is with that idea of commitment. Spirit guided relationships, successfully going the distance. That's our topic today. And uh, before we get any further into the message, though, I want us to go to the Word of God and see what it has to say, especially about the marriage relationship. And uh, if we have that up on the screen, I'd like for you to stand with me, and I'd like for you to read out loud along with me this, this text, all right? Could we do that all together? And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present herself to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated, won't you please? That's an incredible passage of scripture. And quite frankly, it goes against modern day society, but that is the Holy Spirit given word of God. And from that, I wanna share with you several concepts, several principles that I think are foundational to having the sort of relationship that is a successful and long lasting relationship. And I've, I've put these principles into verbs, all right? Something that you do. Oh, I know, you English majors, there are passive verbs and there are active verbs, but these are active verbs. These are something that you do. The first of which is to commit. Commit. Marriage is intended by God to be a terminal relationship. Not because it'll kill you, but because it's designed to be in effect until one of the partners dies. It's a permanent relationship. Jesus himself said, in Mark 10 and verse 9, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Some years ago, I was interviewed by a Christian magazine about long-term ministry. I was at Kingsway for 36 years. 
went there when the church began and was there through all those years of growth and so on and so forth. And so they came to ask me about long-term ministry and what was the key to long-term ministry, especially in the same church. Now, other pastors might have answered it in other ways, but my response was, it was intentionality. Intentionality. To have a long-term ministry, to stay through all the good times and the bad times, to stay there in my ministerial career, took intentionality. I remember when I was still in Bible college and a friend of mine who just went to glory last year, I got a letter from him and, and he was congratulating me on one of our anniversaries or something of that sort. And he said, John, he said, God's been so good to you because you knew what you wanted to do with your life. He said, number one, you wanted to marry Jan. Number two, you wanted to finish college. Number three, you wanted to travel in crusade evangelism for several years. And then when you had children of school age, you wanted to go someplace and establish a new church and stay there for the rest of your ministry career. And you know what? God was so good as he allowed all those things to take place, but it all began with intentionality. Intentionality. It's important in ministry. It's important in marriage. It's important in most relationships. Malachi, the prophet says in Malachi 2 and verse 15, guard your heart, remain loyal, remain loyal, remain faithful to the wife of your youth. Guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. You know, there's a song from back in the 50s. By the way, those were the days of great music, let me tell you, back in the, <laughs> back in the 50s. Well, there really was some, some good music. But anyway, one of the songs, I went back and looked. It was actually, uh, it first came out in 1955. And it was recorded by a number of people over the years. But it was about young love, first love, filled with true devotion. Young love, first love, we share with deep emotion. 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 That's what a lot of young love, first love is, isn't it? It's emotion. I, I still remember having sweaty palms the day that I asked Joyce Wright to ride the tilt-a-wheel with me in Doling Park in Springfield, Missouri. We were on a field trip out there and uh, I was admiring her from a distance and it took all, all the gumption I had to go up to her and ask her if she'd ride the tilt-a-wheel with me. And uh, we were in the fifth grade, by the way, and um, I remember riding my bike two miles to go past her house, just in hopes that she might be out in the yard and I get to see her out there. Now, I don't know what I would have said to her if she had been out there. She never, never was. But anyway, that was, that was young love. At least I thought it was love. And I, I thought it was love with every girl I dated in high school. Oh, I, it, it had to be love. But that was emotion, not devotion. Big difference between the two. As a matter of fact, it was hormones, not commitment. Come on now. <laughs> the fifth graders have hormones. You bet we did or do in that particular case. And that's what it is. I didn't know anything about commitment back in those days, but I have for these past 56 years. Again, you see, commitment isn't just a key to a successful marriage. It's a key to any and all relationships. It really is. Often over the years when I've done weddings and I've done uh, countless weddings, but often I've quoted a couple of verses from the book of Ruth um, because they express the nature of real commitment. Ironically, remember the book of Ruth, you know that um, these words were spoken by Ruth, not to her husband, 
They were spoken to her mother-in-law of all people. Now I don't have the time to tell the whole story, but Ruth's first husband, Naomi's son, had died. And Naomi was going back to her homeland in Israel and uh, Ruth was gonna go along with her and Naomi said, no, no, you stay here in Moab where they lived at that point in time. And uh, Ruth, Ruth gave a powerful expression of the kind of devotion that really should be true in marriage as well as in other important relationships. Ruth 1, verses 16 and 17. Ruth said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's the kind of commitment that gets heaven's attention, folks. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know she went back with Naomi and there uh, God provided her a wonderful husband. His name was Boaz. But she kept that sort of commitment both to Boaz and to her former mother-in-law, Naomi. Oh my, the idea of commitment, committing to that other person is so important. Here's a second verb, and that is communicate. Communicate. Let me tell you something. Good communication is vital to any relationship, at least if it's gonna be a healthy relationship, and it's certainly vital to a healthy marriage as well as other relationships. Stuart Briscoe, a great preacher from up in Wisconsin, he, uh, he said that good communication is really hard work, especially for men. <laughs> Matter of fact, he said, we are conversationally challenged. And I have a feeling that he was, uh, he was right on about that with most of his guys, whether we want to admit it or not. He said the four hardest statements to make in marriage are these. Number one, I was wrong. Number two, I'm sorry. Number three, I don't know. And number four, I need help. Now, while he spoke that of husbands, the same thing is true of wives. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know. I need help. But if you use those statements on a regular basis with your spouse, your significant other, you're probably effectively communicating. You see, your goal and mine in effective communication should be in keeping with Ephesians Chapter four and verse 29, Paul says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement. Say that word with me, encouragement. Say it one more time, encouragement. Your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. In other words, use words that build up your mate, your friend, your coworker. Be an encouragement. Let me share with you a, a couple of lessons I've learned in my 78 years of life and 56 years married to the same woman. Um, my first word from the experience is for all of you husbands. <laughs> and uh, while these are principles I've learned, I haven't always put them into practice. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. But first of all, for husbands, when your wife comes to you with a problem, when she comes to you with a challenge or a burden or whatever it might be, what she really needs is a listening ear. Are you listening? Do you hear what I'm saying? When she shares a frustration or a problem with you, 
She's looking for your concern. She's looking for your understanding. She's not looking for you guys. She's not looking for you to fix your problem. Now, I, I know that, that may sound strange. I mean, especially, you know, with my wife, whenever she has a problem, I'm prone to put on my pastoral counseling hat and I'm prone to evaluate the situation and I'm prone to tell her how to fix the situation. But I've noticed over the years when I do that, she's not necessarily happy about it. Now, I don't understand that. I mean, here she is coming to a pastoral counselor, doesn't have to make an appointment, doesn't have to pay for it, it's all free of charge. You know, I'm just ready to do that for her and she's not happy about it. And then one day she helped me to understand. One day she explained, John, right now, I need you to be my husband, not my pastor. I need you to be my husband, not my pastor. And there's plenty of times, guys, that our wives are just looking for someone to, to hear them out, to understand, to care. Um, and for you ladies, here's a lesson I've learned over the years. Your husband may try to project a tough guy image on the outside. Most of us guys like to be thought of in those terms. I've noticed the tougher on the outside, usually the softer on the inside though. And the fact of the matter is, all those tough guys out there, underneath they're still insecure little boys. I mean, they may never admit it, but it's true. And so what I'm saying is compliment him, build him up, encourage him. The uh, fact is, a hundred people may come up to me and say, uh, John, that was a wonderful sermon. And I mean no offense by this, but what Jan says to me, whatever it is, means far more to me than what all the rest of you might say. Communicate, communicate. All right, third verb, cherish, cherish. Healthy marriages and relationships that go the distance are characterized by a loving commitment that is based on a decision, not a feeling. Hear me out. I chose and I continue to choose to love, cherish, and respect. Again, Ephesians 5.25, for husbands this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave his life for her. How did he love the church? Well, yes, he gave his life, but that means he loved her, he loved the church then and now. He loved the church when the church was and is unlovely and unlovable. Hmm? And Christ loved the church when she did not and does not return that love for him. But guys, if you'll learn to love your wife the way the Bible tells you to love her, as Christ loved the church, in spite of all these other things, if you will love her that way, why on earth would she not want to spend the rest of her life with you? Life's all about choices. And all choices, all choices have consequences. I mean, that's just a matter of fact. And, and, and so it is with all relationships, especially marriages. Now, please understand, I know, I know, I know. I, I talked to a number of people after the first service today and, and I, I understand their stories and, and they were really coming to me just affirming what I'd, what I'd already said. But I know it takes two to make a marriage. And I know sometimes in spite of everything that you as a man or a woman might do to keep your marriage together and to be the mate that you should be, uh, without the cooperation of your mate, it just isn't gonna happen. But when both a husband and wife decide to make a marriage work, it can be done, and it often is. 
Um, most of you are familiar with the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read just a portion of that chapter to you, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, let me start with verse 4. Love is patient and kind. And by the way, he's not just talking about marriage here. Paul is talking about relationships in general, and he says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I hope you notice that Paul in that entire passage talks about love from the perspective of character, of character. I mean positive traits like patience and kindness and truth and care and hope and perseverance, positive characteristics. But also, if you look at that passage and study it a little further, you will find the absence of negative characteristics like envy and pride and rudeness and selfishness and anger and unforgiveness. Love is a choice, folks. Choose to cherish unconditionally. Oh, and by the way, mix in a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T as Aretha would tell us, and that goes a long, long way towards success. Here's a simple rule. Here's a thumb guide for behavior straight from the words of Jesus. Doesn't get any better than that. You know this verse, Matthew 7 and verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like for them to do to you. Do to others whatever you would like for them to do to you. Matthew 7 and verse 12. Well, got to keep going. The fourth the fourth verb, the fourth principle is to correct conflict. Correct conflict. In relationships that successfully go the distance, both parties must learn to correct the conflicts between them. And there will be conflicts, I assure you of that. Not to let those conflicts linger, as we too often do. But God's Word gives us some wonderful teaching on conflict resolution, how to do it. Uh, the book of Proverbs is filled with that sort of teaching. It'd be good for all of us to read the book of Proverbs at least once a year, if not more often than that. But the New Testament also has these incredible principles. For instance, Colossians 3 and verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Never treat them harshly. Ephesians 4 and verse 26. Don't Sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Big mistake many of us make. We just simmer and stew and go on instead of dealing with the problem itself, instead of correcting the conflict. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. So encourage one another. There's that word again, encourage one another and build each other up just as you're already doing. Again, often, often in relationships, there's far too much anger and far too little encouragement. But if we follow these biblical principles, we successfully will correct the conflict. 
which by the way is, an, is inevitable in any relationship, not just marriage, any relationship. There will be misunderstandings. There will be uh, uh, other problems that, that rear their ugly head and that need to be addressed in any relationship. I heard about a guy. He had a disagreement with his wife. Now, it was more than a disagreement. It was an out-and-out fight. But he was telling his friend about it a couple of days later and uh, told him about how at the end of the argument, his wife had come to him on her hands and knees. And the friend knew the man's wife pretty well and knew that she wasn't prone to that sort of behavior. And so shocked that she would do that, he said to the guy, he said, she came to you on your hands and knees? What did she say? And the first guy said, she said, come out from under that bed right now, you coward, or I'll come there under you and get you. <laughs> well... You know, the first crowd responded a lot better. Maybe I better go through that again. But that's really not correcting the conflict, is it? No, the Bible teaches that we're to correct the conflict. But the fifth and final principle, and I've saved this for last on purpose, because it is by far the most important. The fifth principle is this, center on Christ. Now, <clears throat> I have been in the ministry for 58 years. And I must tell you that in all those years of ministry, the thing that I've liked least comes with the territory, but the thing I've liked least is counseling couples with troubled marriages. By the way, I'm not your pastor. If you have a troubled marriage, Pastor Craig will be back. You come in and talk to him. Because that's not one of my favorite things to do. And I am more convinced than ever after all that counseling and all those couples I've met with that having Christ at the center of your marriage is the wisest and best thing you can possibly do to develop a marriage that will successfully go the distance. Now, please, you're already thinking about all these different scenarios. I know there are long-time marriages between non-believing couples that from the world standpoint look pretty successful. I know that there's a lot of marriages where, where one is a Christian and the other is not. There was a couple in the early service that uh, the lady was a faithful Christian and uh, her husband was in no way interested in Christianity. But because of her faithfulness and because of her consistency, uh, he came to Christ as well. I know that there are a lot of professing Christian couples that don't make it too for various different reasons. But to have the best possible relationship between a husband and wife, I'm convinced that nothing is more important, nothing is more central than for God's word to be the foundation in that marriage and for Christ to be at the center of that marriage. And this morning, if you're, if you're already married to an unbeliever, hang in there, pray for them. I had one lady tell me after the first service, she'd been praying for her husband for, I think, 27 years, she said. Hang in there, live the Christian life, be consistent in doing what you need to do. Um, I know that um, there are others of you that perhaps are in relationships that aren't the best possible relationship, but if you are a Christian, if you're a child of God, go on living a consistent Christian life. And I've seen a lot of testimonies. Over the years, I've seen so many, especially where the wife has been a Christian and the husband is not. I could tell you some incredible conversions that would never have taken place had the wife just given up, but instead she was faithful. See, the best chance of seeing your mate come to Christ is for him or her to see you continuing to live a consistent Christian life. Do you remember uh, the parable that Jesus taught about building on the rock? <laughs> it 
It's at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is repeated in the Gospels, but in the Matthew's version, Matthew 7, beginning with verse 24, listen to this. Uh, you're, you're no doubt familiar with it anyway. But Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Oh my goodness. Be sure you build your life upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word. It's amazing what can happen when you follow the directions for relationships that are given clearly in the word of God, found in the word of God, not just in marriage, but in all of life. And if Christ is the center of your life, the center of your marriage, it's sort of like a triangle. I mean, you can picture this. You and the other person are at the bottom of the triangle. Christ is at the top. And as you move closer to Christ, guess what? You move closer to each other as well. Christ, centering on Christ, that's the key to successful relationships. The closer you get to him, the closer you get to one another. Now, please understand, I'm in no way claiming to be a marriage or relationship expert. As a matter of fact, when Craig first asked me if I'd preach this sermon, I wasn't crazy about the idea. I think it's just because he didn't want to preach this sermon. And so the coward, he left town and, and left, left me here behind. I guess, I guess he realized one, one thing, one wonderful thing about retirement, Josh, is that you can't be fired. I, I, I love it. You know, I go in, I say whatever I want to say, and, and nobody can fire me. They may not invite me back, but, but they, they, they can't fire me. Um, so I'm not an expert, and there's much, much more to be said. This, this sermon itself ought to, be a, ought to be a series of messages instead of a message, but I do know that these five principles go a long way toward having a happy, healthy, successful relationship, especially as it relates to marriage, and they are spirit-led because they are all based upon the teaching of the Word of God inspired by His Holy Spirit. Commit, communicate, cherish, correct conflict, and most importantly, center on Christ. I don't think I'm telling most of you that are observant at all anything new, but the fact is that marriage is under assault today like never before. I mean, it's incredible. I know I've lived 78 years, which is not long in terms of life on this planet Earth, but marriage is under assault far more today than anything that I've ever experienced in my life. Cohabitation. Chances are even some of you watching today, or maybe some of you in this service, are living together like a husband and wife, but without marriage. A lot of couples that have children without, without marriage and it's become more and more and more acceptable in our society today. And the church needs to take a stand and say the Bible calls that sin, fornication, adultery. There are several different words that apply in that situation. But it's become acceptable in our society today, living together without marriage, because that also means living together without any commitment. You can just walk away anytime. Easy divorce, so-called same-sex marriage, Fewer and fewer people going to church and claiming a relationship with Christ. Eroticism and pornography, 
uh, being so pervasive in our society today in every form of media. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's shocking. It is, at least it is to me, apparently not to our society, but all are a part of that assault on marriage, on the home, on the bedrock of what our society is supposed to be all about. And a family without a commitment to the God of the Bible really has no hope of stemming the tide of this attack. And what's the church done? I'm confident this isn't true here at Crossroads, but I, uh, I'm familiar with a lot of churches and some very well-known churches where we mix in a little biblical truth, a little bit, with a little secular, secular psychology, pop psychology, a little romance ideology, perhaps even a little Eastern mysticism as well. And what do we end up with? A deadly mixture of lies. And unfortunately, that's what many of us have done individually, and that's what many churches have done collectively. The last generation has done marriage according to Dr. Phil, <laughs> raised our kids according to Dr. Spock, governed our sex lives by Dr. Ruth, and only run to Dr. Jesus when things are so bad we can't find another doctor to help us. When what we should have done is to begin and end with Dr. Jesus. Jan and I have been married, I said before, 56 years. Nearly everything about our lives is known to each other. And in our daily conversations, we, we draw on our collective memory of all those years. Now, I say our collective memory. It's mostly Jan's memory because mine is fading away. But, but um, as a matter of fact, just this week, we've talked about so many things that we shared over the years and how good God's been to us. And, and um, <laughs> we were talking about the blizzard of 78. How many of you remember the blizzard of 78? A lot of you weren't even born, but yeah, blizzard of 78. And uh, our church, of course, was just four years old. Kingsway was founded in uh, 1974. In 78, the storm came. And I think Kingsway was probably the only church in all of central Indiana that was open that day. But we said we weren't going to close the doors regardless. And, and I remember wading through the snow to a neighbor and getting his tractor and driving the tractor up to church. I kid you not. And then people started calling in and we had a phone tree to call everybody in the church and ask them if they wanted to come to church. We'd provide them with a ride and there were people in the church that had four-wheel drives and they loved to do it. Some people had snowmobiles, came to church on snowmobiles. By the way, I, I, I got off my intended sermon in the first, first week, so I, I ought to do it in the first service. I ought to do it in the second service too. We have become such weenies in the church, haven't we? We really have become such weenies. You know, let a few snowflakes fall and, ah, can't go to church. It's a little bit cold. Ah, can't go to church. Interesting, have you watched the playoffs in football with all the stadiums where the temperature's been down about 10 degrees and where snow has still been on the seats and here's all the people, every ticket taken, premium prices paid, but, oh, we can't go to church because of this or that or the other thing. Well... I know I get in trouble sometimes, but that's all right. That's all right. I've never said anything that isn't true in that regard. And you know in your heart of hearts, it is true. We pick and choose what's important to us. We pick and choose what becomes a priority in our lives. But Jan and I, we communicate. We were talking last night about a CD I ran across, and it was a, it was a singer, beautiful, beautiful voice, uh, Irish. Um, and uh, we were talking about it. She said, oh, yeah, remember, John, that was that trip to Ireland? And we were on our way up to such and such a castle. 
and we were near the Cliffs of Moher, and there was this singer just sitting out there on a, on a, a stone a wall, and she was singing and playing some sort of a stringed instrument, and we stopped and listened to her, and we got, we got I don't remember any of that, but I'm, I'm glad she remembers it. It was a beautiful, beautiful thought. But all of our memories, all of our memories in that regard blew our story, hers and mine, into one story. And by the way, it's a good story. It's a good story. But at the center of that story is Jesus. I hear a lot of guys say, you know, my best friend is my wife. Well, my wife isn't my best friend. She's my second best friend next to Jesus. And he's the one who has kept us together in the times when we weren't sure we even liked each other all that much. And don't you act like you're pious and that hasn't happened with you, it has. And he's the one who has enabled us to endure the violent attack that's going on against marriage in general and ours in particular. And so today, I want to encourage you, whoever you are, whatever your situation in life is, to make Jesus the center of your marriage, the center of your home. And if you're single or divorced, never married, don't want to be married, whatever it might be, Make Jesus the platform for the rest of your life and you'll find therein is found the most successful life possible. Jesus first. Jesus first. Say that with me. Jesus first. Say it like you mean it. Jesus first. But of course you can't do that until you have first invited him into your life by faith. I'm going to close the message a little differently than usual. Would you bow your heads, please? And no one looking around because this is a personal issue. But I'd like to pray for you today if you specifically need prayer in some relationship. It might be marriage, it might be some other relationship. But if you'd like for me to pray for you in that regard, would you just slip your hand up for a second all over the auditorium? Anyone at all? Okay. A few more hands. Anyone else? Anyone else? Pray with me, Father. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we can fool other people, but we can't fool you. And you know exactly what's going on in our lives right now. And I assume, though I don't know the story, that those that have raised their hand are going through some difficult times, some challenges, maybe in their marriage, maybe some other relationship. But God, just the willingness to admit that there's a need is a start. Lord, I pray that you would help all these people that have raised their hands to put into practice these five verbs that we've looked at today. To commit themselves in that relationship because commitment is key. To learn to communicate with one another and to, to do so in the fashion that is pleasing to you and most beneficial to that relationship. And Father, to cherish that relationship, to respect, to love, to care for that relationship so as not to let it get away. And yes, Father, to correct conflict, whatever that conflict might be, without waiting, without delaying, to make sure that it's cleared up. Father, that's true in so many of our lives, but perhaps especially in the lives of some that have raised their hand today. And most importantly, Lord, for each one of us to center our lives on Christ. Now, for some, that means accepting Christ for the first time, but most of us here, no doubt, have been believers for years and years and years. And yet sometimes we put Jesus in the back seat. 
we wanted to drive the vehicle on our own. And only when we get in trouble do we turn to Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd help every one of us here, every one of us to center our lives on Jesus Christ, to make him the platform for the life that we're living, for the life that we should live, for the life that we can live if Jesus is really at the center of it. And so, Lord, right now, whatever the relationship, whatever the situation, whatever the state of life may be, I pray, Lord, for the conviction of your Holy Spirit to do about it what can be done. And, Father, I don't think there's anything more important than the things that we've mentioned today. So starting right here and right now, Father, I pray that we'll put into practice those things that your Word, your word has taught us today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Josh. And can we just show our appreciation to Pastor John? The awesome. Awesome message, an awesome reminder. Some important principles that relates to relationships, especially in the context of marriage. Applicable across the board. You know, and I think this morning, as we talk about, as we kind of end with this idea of keeping Jesus at the center of our relationship. I, I think it's important that we also point out and echo what, what Pastor John said. A lot of times we find ourselves, maybe you're single in the room, maybe you're looking for a relationship, maybe you think that that's what's gonna fulfill you. I would say, kind of boldly, that the person that you ought to be searching for is not a spouse, it's not a relationship, it's not a significant other, the person that you need to shore up a relationship first with is Jesus. And then, just like he says, everything else will be added. He'll take care of the rest. You know, this morning, I think one of the awesome things about serving Jesus, and we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and like was said, that's the love chapter, right? Hear it at weddings, see it on, you know, your mom's or your grandma's wall, you know, a little stitched nicely thing. I can't remember what that's called. Uh, <laughs> when you see that passage of scripture, and we always talk about it in the context of that, like a relationship and marriage. But I think the person that exemplified all those things, love is patient, love is kind. If we were just to change out the word love and replace it with Jesus. Jesus Man, he is patient. He's kind. It's an awesome example of how he loves us. Again, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus loved us so much that it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you might be in here, <clears throat> you might be watching online, and I don't know where you find yourself at as far as your relationship status. It might be complicated with Jesus this morning, but I don't want to go another moment. I don't want to leave this room or end the stream without having an opportunity for you, whoever you might be or wherever you might be at, have an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus or to restart that relationship with Jesus. So let's do this one more time. If we can bow our heads and close our eyes. Honestly, this is just so you don't get distracted and so you have a moment with Jesus without any other distractions. 
Maybe you're in the room or maybe you're watching online and you say, you know what, Josh? I, to be honest with you, my relationship status with Jesus is a little complicated. I'm not quite sure where we stand. Or maybe I've never started a relationship with Jesus. Well, let me just tell you, you came to the right place. You're watching the right thing. And this is your opportunity to start that. So if you would say, yeah, that's where I'm at. And that's what I want to do. I want to start that relationship with Jesus or restart it today. Maybe across this room, would you lift your hand? Maybe online you can put the little hand raise emoji in the chat. I see those hands. I see that hand. That's awesome. You can put it right back down. I see that hand. That's incredible. That's incredible. So let's do this together as a church, Crossroads online or in the building. Let's pray together. And I'm just going to say a simple prayer. You can repeat right after it. And when I get done, there'll be some prompts on the screen for you to take a next step. Follow those prompts. Type decided in the chat. Text, the num text decided to the number that's on the screen. Somebody will follow up with you. Here we go. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. My relationship with you is complicated or it doesn't exist. But today, I want to start. I'm sorry, and I ask for forgiveness. And from this day on, I choose to live for you the best that I know how. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate as a church one time? Come on. The best decision, the best relationship you could ever start, the relationship that will impact every single connection that you have with anybody else, you just started or restarted today. That's something to be excited about. This morning, we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to speak. We're going to shout the name of Jesus one more time. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing. If you need to follow up in Next Step, you see him on the screen online or in the building. Text that number. Text that keyword, and we'll get followed up with you. But can we pray one more time? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, I thank you that you showed up here this morning and that you have something for us. God, I ask that you would help us to take the words that we heard and apply them to our life as we leave this place, as we end a stream, as we go about our life this week. You would help us uh, to, to apply that to our life, to be changed this week. Father, we ask that you would bless us. You would give us favor with who we need favor with this week. Keep us safe until we get back together next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing.